Hello and welcome to episode 202 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Dave West and Ian Ashcroft, creators of Keo Wordsmith on Kickstarter now. This is Matt and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. All right, so let's uh, let's start off with with Dave. Dave, uh, for anybody who hasn't uh, heard any of the podcasts you're on before, can you give us a quick bio about yourself and then also a an elevator pitch for for Kia? Yeah, sure. So I've been making comics, I guess, for about twenty years now. I'm one of the uh, one of the oldest little uh, independent companies in the UK. Um, so we started back when there were like three cons a year. Uh, now some months we you know out you know before COVID there were about three cons some months mm-hmm. you know it's it's massively improved um, so we've we started off kind of doing anthologies and, and sort of one shots um, because the kind of you know we all, we all have day jobs and as, as you probably have yourself you know it's hard to fit this stuff in and you know ends up te- teaches art so it's, it's nighttime activities writing and drawing and stuff um, so we kind of have a We've got we got into kind of ongoing series very late on, so I guess we've got we've got about three ongoing now. Uh, one being Kia, one being Western Noir, and another one being Stevenson's Robot. And it's only when you get the kind of the artist who can commit to that kind of longevity that you can actually even attempt that. Um, but we are we have got three, and, and it's good fun. Um, so in terms of the uh, the Kia then, so Kia Kia Wordsmith is uh, is my kind of homage to. I played Dungeon Dragon since I was fifteen. And I, and I read things like Joe Abercrombie's books, etc. Recently, and it's my kind of homage to that. So, so it's kind of a fantasy, but it's got science in it as well. So I'm trying to mix. So, so science is just sorry, magic is science that you don't understand yet. That's my kind of. That's what I think. That's how I see it. And um, in this world that Kieran inhabits, the both coexist. People see magic as science, and vice versa. They don't kind of differentiate between the two. They don't understand the difference. And um, so she lives in this world. The world's Earth City's at war. Um, she's trying to make a, a life for herself but when it's all kind of a bit like COVID. Everything's kind of depressed and down. And she's trying to go against all that and just have an adventure and live a life. Um, so she ultimately ends up stealing from a wizard um, or releasing a creature which is seen as stealing from the wizard. And it takes her on a, on a kind of adventure through a realm that she doesn't know about, doesn't understand. Um, and that's called the in-between. So issues one and two kind of see her steal from the wizard and then find out the wizard set her up you know, because a thief that she followed actually intended her to follow. They knew she was going to steal this thing. And um, and, the, and the, in, the in-between then is, it's kind of, we had some feedback. We always had the idea of what the in-between was, and we'd tell that story later on. But we had a lot of feedback saying, what happens between issue one and two? She kind of goes through a, a dark kind of shadow and then pops up in a bedroom sort of thing. What, where, how did she get there? What What's between? So we brought that, that in-between story forward, which is what this Kickstarter is for. So it's the it's the in between issues one and two. Although it could be between it could be in between any issues. Really, it's her travelling through what we call the nexus or the in between. Um, so that, that's this Kickstarter. Very cool. And Ian, how about uh, how about a quick bio about yourself? Uh, yeah, I um, started working in comics through meeting Dave. Really, I'd done a portfolio of sequential art, and I met Dave at a con in England called Thought Bubble. It's probably the biggest northern con, so it's easier for me to get to. And um, Dave was really positive about the artwork he saw, and he gave me a 10-page story in Tales of Western Noir, which is a spin-off of one of his um, titles that he's just mentioned. And um, after I completed that, he asked me if I wanted to work on Keir Wordsmith. So... I said I'd love to. Um, I really enjoyed working with him. And we bought out issue one in 2018, and that did really well. We thought for a you know a first issue. Issue two came out last year in June. And that you know, with game momentum, we picked up um double the amount of backers on issue two. So we were really positive about that. And then David said about this feedback that, that we'd read in one of the reviews and we thought, well, we, you know, we need to respond to that. So we kicked around this idea of the in-between and what it could be. And maybe we even talked about potentially different artists drawing it so I could just get on with issue three. Um, but we decided that we wanted to keep the art all similar and continuous. So it was just a great playground, really, because this is sort of an imagined world. It's very sort of, I see it as quite fantasy art based. Um, 
some of the styles I'm using and some of the influences I'm drawing upon are from sort of retro sci-fi and fantasy artists that I really admire. And I hope we've created a, a comic that is full of um, illustrations and sequential art that people are going to enjoy. And there's 24 pages in full colour from me. And then a, there's an eight-page short story as well um, that David done with another artist called Marlene Lowe, which is uh, a different style, but e e equally, I, I think it's fantastic artwork. That I think it's going to give everything that little bit more clarity as well and help to really sell the story. So there's a lot to this comic and um, it's 32 pages and all, and I'm really proud of it. I, I think it's probably the best artwork I've done on a book. And I've worked on a couple of books now, but for me, this, this is the one that I'm most proud of. That's awesome. And I, I've seen the artwork for this one and like, I get where Dave's coming from with like the D and D uh like you know like like you know you sort of having that like deep fantasy like sci-fi fantasy feel but like the in-between feels like uh like a steve ditko fever dream like from the artwork that i'm seeing in a good way so i'm wondering like for you guys like was this sort of like for the idea of the in-between we're like all right we're just gonna get like awesomely weird was that sort of like like was that yeah, sort of yeah. the conversation yeah, so, so, so for the for the in-between to work it's like the nexus of all worlds so Kia becomes another character in my other books. She's, she's kind of got, she appears in all of my comics, really. Um, but people don't, haven't picked up on that. So the Jigsaw Girl and Stevenson's Robot, who also appears in the second four volumes of the trade paperback of the Western Noir, um, in a brief kind of cameo. She, you know, she has a role. Um, but it's, it's her story. And the Nexus is her being able to travel through something to all those other realms. You know, so the alternate history, Stevenson's Robot, the Western Noir, kind of linking to that. And the realm she's born in, which is the realm that Kia set in, Kia Wordsmith. And it's kind of, it's a, it's a realm where it, we wanted it not to obey the laws of physics and, and kind of the time as we understand it. Um, so she, in the realm, you can actually see the, your future self, but you can't communicate. You can see her visions of your future, but you can't understand them on the context of what time they are. <clears throat> so it's a really strange mixed up, as you say, a mixed up world. Um, yeah, and Ian just just took that kind of brief and just just did his magic with it, really. That's got to be freeing for you, Ian, to just sort of like, you know, not have to worry about like, you know, drawing. I mean, like at sometimes, I'm guessing you probably have to do like some perspective drawings at some point, but like you can kind of be a little like weirder and sort of more abstract with the art at times. I absolutely loved it, Noah. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. loved it because <laughs> I was just I, I had this basic idea of. Um, this future self of Kia and, and what she go through and there's such a strong element of horror in this and and it gets quite dark and bleak and twisted but hopefully the artwork is it, kind of in contrast to that because it's bright and it's colorful and it's representational so you know nothing's hidden away in shadows or anything like that you know um, even though she's passing through this sort of shadow realm we see everything in this like really bright and vivid colors. And um, like I said, I, ju I, I just really wanted to push myself to see how far, I mean, one of the things that I, I will never hit this standard and I was, I, I'm not pretending that I'm anywhere near this guy, but Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein was a massive sort of touchstone for me because that was such a work of, like I think artistic genius that I just wanted to have a go at sort of treating each page like um, a really intensely detailed composition and to just really try and push myself because the story was relatively loose and so I had so much freedom if you like on every page to decide how I wanted it to flow and the pacing of it and where the big shock moment was going to come and, and all these things. And um, so, yeah, the, it, it was just a really great artistic endeavor. I'm not sure that within comics, I'm ever going to get that chance again, because <laughs> it's going to be more um, sort of like heavily storytelling. In, in the third issue, there's some great set pieces that Dave's created that I'm really looking forward to draw drawing but that 
that idea of this sort of like like you said fever dream just running on over 24 pages but it's just it it was a, a great experience to draw it and I actually ended up drawing it quicker than I usually would because it just flowed really easily and I wanted to keep up momentum so I did all the pencils first before I, I even thought about coloring it that's really cool. And I was actually, I'm glad you brought up Bernie Wrightson because I was going to say that, that this book from what I've seen has a very Bernie Wrightson flavor to it. And um, I, have, I have one more question for you, Ian, before, uh, and then, um, but uh, the, so for like Dave brought up, you're drawing other characters from Dave's other work and things like that. So, and then I guess Dave, you can talk about this too, but so Ian, like when you were approaching drawing those characters, are, are you drawing them exactly how like the other artists drew them? Or are you sort of putting on your own your own take on these characters? Well, the jigsaw girl who Dave referred to actually appears in the first couple of pages of um, issue two. She's sort of the girl we see floating above Kia when she's waking up from this fever dream, if you like. So she looks... Um, my take on her is she's quite beautiful. And um, in previous books, um, in Stevenson's Robot, she's more grotesque, to be honest. I think um, Brad draws her in a way. He's the artist. Brad Tull's the artist on Stevenson's Robot. He draws her in quite a grotesque, disfigured way, uh, disfigured way, whereas I went for she's um, quite attractive. And the whole point of that is because it needs to be a massive shock when you see what happens to it. And it needs to be like, oh my God, what is, <laughs> <laughs> is, what is happening? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a book. I've got this thing where I like the combination of like beauty and grotesqueness as well that I think you see in Wrightson's work and a lot of the other artists that I really admire. And I just tried to bring that into the in-between as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And Dave, so I guess like when Ian approached maybe like re not sort of like, I guess like drawing a character again from a previous book that you had done, yeah. like, did you have to work with him on that? Or were you like, yeah, you just go ahead, do your thing. Yeah. I, I like, so, so I like artists to do their thing. So I like them to, so Carrie Crutchley, the Western art artist drew, drew the, the jigsaw girl and she's only in a few frames, but she's not as grotesque as Brad drew her in the, uh, in Stevenson's Robot, which is part of this traveling carnival circus, kind of a freak show almost. And um, yeah, and Ian, Ian, I knew Ian, would, I knew kind of in my mind what Ian would do, and he's, and he's done better than I can imagine. Um, but yeah, it had to be, I think he's right, it had to, the beauty that she had, and, and you see Kia, that's that's the older Kia, um, for the thing that happens to her, it, it's a real kind of, oh my God, you know, and the image he drew, which I won't put on the Kickstarter because it might scare yeah. people away. Um, <laughs> it's really, it is beautifully drawn, but it's it's really grotesque. It's horror, you know, it's horror. It's, uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yes. I'm excited. <laughs> but it's a bit like the, um, you know, the little art cards we do on the Kickstarter's rewards, those kind of reward stretch goals. I love seeing other artists interpret the characters and we've got some beautiful pieces on there. One's a very cartoony caricature artist and other ones are kind of like an Arthur Rackham sort of style. Um, Tom Brown, who's got a Kickstarter at the moment as well, um, Hopeless Main. Just, I just love to see other people interpreting our characters. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, those are awesome. So we talked a little bit uh, to, to Ian about the, the, the freedom of the, the, the script, but Dave, you know, I, I'm thinking probably with your reg regular writing process where you're sitting down and you're outlining yeah. an issue, um, you had a little bit more freedom here as well. I mean, you knew the starting point and the ending point, but with yeah. it being sort of this traveling through a nexus of of worlds, you know, you know, sometimes when you have a dream and like things make sense, and then this other item just shows up, and you're like, that doesn't quite make sense, but I'm going to keep going because it just yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. So, like, were you able to do stuff like with the with yeah, the storytelling? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So every artist I work with is completely different. Um, so, you know, so Gary Critchley kind of we discuss things and he takes it away as the artist on Western One. We almost we co-write it really. So we discuss things and he goes off and because he's, he's he kind of he does his art by dialogue and the beat of the story. So he doesn't want text boxes. He doesn't want panels broken down. So he just works that way. Um, Brad Tattoo, I send the full script with all the pages laid out, but he will still go off on one when he gets something that he draws, which is having fun with enjoying. He'll then make that a bigger thing. So. One panel could be four pages, 
and, and you know, when I look at the artwork, I think, where's, where's that in the script? Oh, okay, there, it's, it's that, and he's just, he's just followed it through because he's had this imagination. It's all crazy, great stuff. So I just, I just write around that. Within, I found that um, he's better left, I think, with it more fluid, the script. So I have some set pieces now within, and the script three, I think, is probably getting towards where we'll kind of get a balance, a nice balance, where there's these set things need to happen. But but it's not it's not constri- it's not forcing into twenty four pages, you know. He could draw that in ten pages, or he could draw it in twenty pages. It, it it lets him explore things, and the way that Ian works, and I think it's a really good collaboration. Is that he'll he'll suggest, you know, what about this? This kind of we could do this, and it, and it kind of I say, yeah, let's do that, and we have a little discussion, and there could be a couple of pages where it's kind of a little bit off piece, as it were, but then it comes back again, and when I get it back to write it. I've always done this. I've never kind of just laid the text I had in for the scripts on top of the artwork anyway. I've never done that. I've always kind of rewritten things because people draw things in or they leave things out. So you never know quite what the artist is going to represent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always find it's much, it's also good fun actually, because it, it keeps you on your toes to kind of rewrite things based on the art, based on the original script. It, you have to make it all come together and work. It's very organic, I guess, is the word without trying to sound pretentious, but it, yeah, it, it's good fun. I think as well, Dave, uh, sorry, um, you talking about um, just dropping in a random thing, but uh, Dave's got another idea for a story about this lighthouse keeper. So partway through the script, we see a lighthouse appear that really is that kind of thing. It's like that sort of dream where this object just appears that's slightly different to the rest of the tone of the story because that's going to go off in a different tangent and a different story and a different character arc so all the time little easter eggs are being dropped into these stories and that makes it really exciting to work on. Dave how do you organize your your thoughts and your your ideas for for all the series like I, I do you do you have like like a Kia file and then a western noir file and then you sort of have like a file that's like this is this is everything that encompasses this created world uh, how, how do you handle keeping everything straight yeah yeah so so I have a spreadsheet actually a master spreadsheet because because Kia appears in all these stories so I have the timeline of each of the of this. So there's a there's a column which has all the Western Noir and the Steve, well, Stevens wrote to start with then Western Noir and Kia, you know, Victorian times and Western times were the same kind of time, which I didn't realise until I started writing this stuff and looking into it. Never occurred to me. Um, so Kia crosses over, but it has to work in the continuity of both those comics. You know, she has to be somewhere where she can go to America, do this thing and then come back. So mm-hmm. it needs to work. Uh, with Kia, it's way in advance of all that. So this is her young before she even comes to that realm with the Stevenson's robot. So I have a, I have ideas about how she's going to move across. Um, I don't know how long I can keep being interested. That's that's one of the challenges with artists because they, you know, they, they can't. This isn't a life job. Um, so I've always, I've said to Ian that you know, he's, he's promised me that if he needs to move on to do something else, he'll give me two issues to then make the steps that I need to make to get her into a different realm. Um, and in which case I can get another artist to, to take over and do it in their style uh, with a different kind of story. So I've got, I've got it all mapped out, but I've not written the detailed issue by issue for the next 10 issues, but I know what's happening and I know the direction I want to take. And I know some things I want to introduce, which, which uh, surprise him with. I think every, every now and then on talks like this, he goes, you can do what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, I intend to be on Kia for as long as as it runs, really. I, I love the story. I, I'm invested in the character. Um, I, I like the fact that Dave's sort of revealing the story to me sort of issue by issue. I don't really want to know the end point because then I might draw something in a different way because I know what's going to happen to that character. So... It's really quite a nice uh, project to work on because, and I hope Dave doesn't really ever tell me the full thing. Um, <laughs> and it just builds up gradually. I, I, you know, my my dream or my ambition is to see this as a big, lovely trade paperback that we can we can yeah. put out there and something I, I can look back on and be really really proud of. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because um, I guess is the the first character so the the first arc of kia is that going to be about five issues um or is that gonna like i guess maybe six with like the in between 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. Whether we, so I've got other ideas for in between. There's other things I need to draw out. She needs to see, you know, not totally in this either. <laughs> um, but there's, there's another in between issue at least where she sees the future. So, so the whole thing about Kia and about Jigsaw Girl is that it's all about if you see your future, can you change it? You know, you've seen it, so it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the story, the backstory in the jigs that we pulled from a, a lady that my artist on the uh, on the first appearance of Jigsaw Girl um, is about about a guy capturing her and he wants to read her tattoos, which tell his future. You look in her skin, you can see your future and tattoos that move, a bit like the illustrated man. And um, he goes to, to change his future. And the question is, and I won't give it away, but can you change your future? Is, is it or is it preordained? And it's all and her story is all about her trying to change what she sees happening you know uh and there's yeah I, won't, I can't give too much away but that's 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 her tale really as she goes through a journey through life in different realms and i get not wanting to want to know too far ahead especially with time travel ian like that's always like or, or seeing the future and stuff like that yeah. because that yeah. that does make it all all the more yeah like you said it, it could ruin a possible twist or something like that yeah. um but what, what, what's also, I guess, I guess, has to be nice, though, for you, Ian, is trying to figure out, like, how you can sort of, um, like, you know, like, even, like, later in the issue, do you sort of, like, try to keep, like, a visual cohesion across the issue and sort of, like, pick up motifs and things like that and, like, do, like, visual foreshadows, like, throughout the, like, the issues and stuff like that? Are you thinking about that or is it a little more, like, organic with how you draw it? I think about how I can keep the characters consistent an awful lot. So Kea has, at the moment, got a very recognisable look. She's got short, black, bobbed hair, a white T-shirt, grey leggings, red pumps. And, and that means that I can keep her look very, very consistent all the time. The thief who we see appear in issue one, and he features heavily in issue two, I actually based him on like a kind of like an Errol Flynn kind of character. He's got a little moustache. He's got, he wears all black. He's got like a very, um, he's like a handsome guy, but then he's got this scar that runs right through the middle of his face that disfigures him. So that goes back to those themes I was talking about earlier. Um, So yeah, I try and keep my character so that instantly recognizable. You're not going to look at it and go, who's that? You know, they're all they're all going to make sense to you. And one of the things that we see a little bit, and without hoping to give anything away, we see in issue one straight away. You sort of saw this vision of Kia reminiscing about a father who's away, and we don't know where he is, and we don't know what's quite happened to him. And then we touch on that a little bit in issue two, and then we do it again in in between. So. Not only is the visuals hopefully consistent, the sort of themes of loss and worry and what's going on that Kay is going through all the time are consistent as well. You know, she's not completely changing from one mood to another and she's someone who is going through a lot of uh, different emotions. And we've tried to get, we tried to build a really strong character that people are going to empathise with, they're going to be really rooting for her. Um, and that's all, the way she looks and everything like that, it's all part of it. It's all um, helping to the storytelling move along. And that's my job. It's to tell the story that Dave wants to get out. So even though he gives me so much freedom, my job is to tell Dave's story, not tell my own story. I, I, I want it to be as strong as possible. I want to try and break these worlds that Dave that Dave's written down, and he's invested so much. When you know it's gone into other comics, you you, you you've got almost like a bit of competition there. You want your version of the character to look as strong as possible. Yeah, I think the other thing so that's interesting to say is the uh, so Ian also draws some some interesting characters that I then build into the story. So, so one that I've got, they all come to a bit like the typical D and D thing, where a group come together to protect her from these creatures that appear in issue two, and they're called together by the by the um, the thief. Um, but one of those characters, I hadn't formed them fully. I knew who they were, but I hadn't formed an image of them. But one of those characters appears in issue two that Ian introduced, doing something quite quite horrible, you know. But 
decapitated some guy. And that's uh, that, uh, that's 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 to her. We'll have her. <laughs> so you know, so so that that's that's what I love about this. You know, some of these things that we introduce to each other, it keeps it keeps it evolving. So until until the issue is finished, you know, we, we're still changing little bits. As Ian does a little bit of an art, and I'll see something like I really like and say let's let's build on that in the next issue, and that, that sort of thing is, you know. So whilst the main idea and the main story is there, I've got the freedom because Ian's committed to the longer term to kind of add things and and make it more interesting and richer really that's a cool inspiration and that sort of creates a uh, synergy you know from on the storytelling process mm. uh, but but ian i'm curious so like you know you, you uh, sort of going off of what you just brought up about you know you really want to take care with the artwork to sort of live up to dave's vision which is like you know that's like a great like integrity to have as an artist but like how do you balance sort of like keeping it fresh for you like these are characters that you want to draw in the design process so how do you balance sort of like trying to you know maintain dave's vision and then also create characters that like i guess you know for i wish i could say it better but like characters that you don't get tired of drawing you know or, or you don't get sick of drawing yeah. um yeah i was wondering about that i purposely made the i don't think the drawing is simple in any way shape or form but I've purposely made the characters for me relatively straightforward to draw so I don't get tired of them so if I'd drawn Kia with some sort of armor on or, or, or I don't know something that with motifs all over it I would have got sick and tired of drawing that okay. so, so I, I draw you're robot. not going to draw Spider-Man anytime soon or anything like that <laughs> no <laughs> to be honest, working with Dave and, and, and within the small press or the indie art scene that um, I'm sort of in at the moment has made me realise, like, this is going to sound like a cop-out, but the more I do this sort of thing where I, I can sort of determine what a character looks like and fix, like, a design style that I'm really comfortable drawing with that I know I'm always going to do a good job of, the less I have wanted to sort of involve myself in this idea of somehow making it to draw other people's characters because I think I would get really sick of drawing things like Spider-Man or Batman or it just it's just very freeing to know that I've created something along with Dave it's a co-creation it's a collaboration we're both very happy with how each character looks and um for me, that means it's never a jaw drawing care. I mean, after the last Kickstarter, we um, we did quite well selling original sketches. And I must have drawn, well, I don't know how many I did, but I filled a sketchbook full of pictures of care and that. And it, it it was heartbreaking to give it over, to be honest, because it, wow. it was almost as much work as a comic. But um, I had this lovely sketchbook. I thought, I've never done a sketchbook with so much art that's, because I was doing it for people who were paying good money, I wanted it to be every drawing I wanted to be of a good standard. So I was like, oh, I, 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 I really liked some of those drawings and they all had to just go. I had to receive them all, take them out of the front and send them to people. I wanted every single one of them. <laughs> and thank you, Noah and Matt, for, for sort of, I know you two have, have some of those uh, illustrations and it was lovely that you were able to support us in that way. It was very kind of you. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, they, you posted on Instagram today a bunch of Kia faces and I yeah. was like, that was one of the questions I had. I was like, does he get sick of drawing this character? Because yeah, like it was like so many. And I was like, that's, I'm like, I really hope he loves drawing this character. And I kind of knew you did, but you know, it's always good to get I that comfort. On top of on top of all those sketches, there was all the other sketches that I did of all these Marvel characters or yeah. DC characters that I'd done as well. Um, but no, it was a lot of fun to do. I really enjoyed it. But um, and and today we've just sold out all the all the um, all the sketches as well on this new awesome. Kickstarter. So it's lovely that people are coming back for them. Yeah, nice. So. My question is, I'm going to sort of take us back to the point where uh, Ian is going into the convention with his his portfolio and, and he puts the portfolio down in front of Dave. Uh, 
did you already have the sort of the idea for for Kia in your in your notes and in your mind at that time? And was there something that you saw in that portfolio that you were like, at that time, you're like, you know, this might be my guy uh, for for this? Yeah, yeah, so that's exactly right. So, so the Kia story. So when I created the Steam's robot, I always had the backstory for Kia, how she got there. So she's not of the same realm that the story the Steam's robot stories in. And I was also looking for someone that could do a fantasy story. So a lot of the people, and you know, so a lot of you've seen portfolios at conventions. You get a lot of them are just pinups, you know, so that you can't tell if they can tell a story. And Ian's, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but it's kind of like a witch. It's kind of about witches or something, wasn't it? It's kind of a. It was a story about um, Roanoke, which uh, was one of the colonies, and, and um, basically it was a zombie story. Like this colony had gone missing in history i think it's a, a real story the writer who did it knew more about it than me and it was just like well the reason they went missing was a zombie outbreak basically but i i never really ended up drawing the zombies i focused on like this main female character which which sort of ran through the sequentials that i did and i think that's what they picked up on and yeah i think i think it was the, the fluidity of it so so a fantasy story, it's very, it's very dynamic. It's very kind of fluid. I think it, it's got to look like the characters are moving. So, you know, if you see a lot of the, the kind of modern stuff, you get people with guns shooting and they kind of stood there and they're just shooting people with the guns and things. It's not, it's not fluid. They're not jumping and running around. I think I saw that sort of dynamism, if you want to call it that, in Ian's artwork, but I thought that could really work. You know, so again, we, we hadn't seen, I couldn't tell how, how Ian worked with a, with a script, I don't know how he works with the other guys. So we, I thought, okay, let's try him with an eight pager, um, and then if he can do that, then I know that he'll be able to do the Kia. Uh, and then it's just a matter of convincing him to do Kia, <laughs> which was, you know, because you never know, you never know if you get all excited and think this is going to really happen. They go, well, it sounds like a big commitment. I'm, you know, I'm not really up for that. And you think, oh god. Um, but Ian's the first artist I took Kia to. Um, I chatted to a guy in Sweden once uh, when we went to the Copenhagen Convention. A young lad at university who did very kind of, it was very digital, um, but it was very kind of um, very colourful, very dynamic. And he did lots of fantasy artwork. I thought actually he could work, um, but he, he, it, it's very difficult with the, the language and all the rest of it. And I, I couldn't work out. He was quite young as well. And I think he was just, it was too much for him too soon. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, could you want to commit to an ongoing thing? And that was about probably about three years before I met Ian, maybe, maybe even four. Um, so this is sat there. It's like all like you, you probably yourself. You have all these stories you want to tell, but until you get the artist that you know is going to commit to it, you don't even want to start it really, um, because there's nothing worse than getting two or three issues in. They go, they go, oh that's it, I've had enough. Yeah, uh, okay, right now I need to find an artist that's as good as that. That's <laughs> not gonna, you know. And, and a lot of artists look at work, and I've, I've done it before with the, the Wolfman story, the Andy Bloor. You know, he, he kind of stops on issue two. Issue three never happened, but people didn't want to do issue three because they can't compete with that style. It's a very descriptive, it's a very distinct style. And it would look wrong if they did it differently, because it would just be it's a different comic. It looks so different. So it's always it's always a challenge, isn't it? And Ian, did you do any sort of research on like what other artists were were presenting in a portfolio to sort of have an idea of what to do? Or were you just like, this is, you know, I, I have this story. That, I, that I've done, I'm going to use that, but was there any sort of, and you have a sort of a, a background in, in, in art school where did they ever say, you know, these are the things that you, you should put in here, these are the things that you, you shouldn't put in? Uh, is there any advice you can give anybody there? Um, I the, the only thing I had really was a little book. I think it was called, it, it was by a lot of different comic artists. So I can remember Jim Lee was in there, Steve Dillon was in there, um, Alex Ross was in there, and I I gave it away to a friend of mine so he could read it, and he never returned it. But um, it was just basically them talking about their processes and how they produce their work and the rights and the wrongs. And it was it was a really great little book. It was it was only like a, a an A five size thing, and you flip through it and you read what their thoughts were on it. And they, at first, in a way, it held me back because um, it was very much about inking and stuff. And I don't actually do any inking with my art at all. It's all done in pencils, very, very tight pencils. And then I sort of put it into Procreate, which is a drawing app that I've got on my iPad. 
and I, I, I make the pencils as dark as possible and then I'll work into them with heavy blacks and then that'll be my first layer and then I'll work on top of that with colour and I'll try and use only maybe four or five layers to do my colouring so it's as much like a traditional painting if you like as possible um, but that was my only guy. It was like things like make sure that the person who's speaking appears in the panel first. You know, it was really quite simplistic advice, but it was good. Um, but my main starting point, as I mentioned on the previous podcast, was looking at the work of Jay Lee in the Dark Tower. And I just sort of poured over that. And um, now looking back on it, I think it's not a great starting point. I love Jay Lee's art and I love the Dark Tower artwork that he did, but it's very still and it's very quiet and the background's yeah. minimal. Yeah. So it's not, he's not, if I came into comics really late, I'd, I'd love book illustration and fine art. He was the first comic artist that I latched onto. He's still very much an influence on my work you'll see it in the to anyone who looks at the in between will probably think i can see that jay and jay lee influence i've tried to move away from it but i think it's pretty close to the natural way i draw but because he didn't have any backgrounds when i was taking this portfolio around <clears throat> i actually showed it to a few professional artists and they were saying you're gonna have to work on your backgrounds you're gonna have to work on on, on your layouts. They were quite complimentary with the standard of the drawing, but they were still pulling it apart as professionals. And I'm sure if you look back in kit in issue one, some of the panel layouts don't work as well. Although I still love some of the panels that I've done in issue one, particularly the first page actually. But um, yeah, I think you just pick it up over time. I think the important thing is for anyone who's, who's thinking about putting a portfolio together it is to just, it is to just, get on and do it because a lot of people have so many ideas and, and they just don't commit to it and then they'll do pinups and stuff like that like Dave said but just to stay focused and doing your sequential art and trying to tell a story because that's what your portfolio is about that's your main priority is are you telling a story yeah uh, there's I'm an art teacher and the amount of amazing artists I see every year it, it it is a unique talent in some way, but there's so many people out there that can draw really well. But then there's not so many people who can draw really well and tell a story. Yeah. And that's got to be a selling point, I think. So if you're putting together any kind of portfolio, put your storytelling first. And I'm sure you'll find a writer who wants to work with you. And your drawings going to just get better yeah. as you go along with it. Yeah, I will say that you're kind of, so it's also subjective art, as we all know. And where, where some people said, oh, you haven't drawn buildings or perspectives. To me, that the idea that I had for the story I had in mind, that wasn't important. It was the most important thing was you could draw characters and they looked like they were moving fluidly. You know, the number of portfolios I've seen where people got very stiff necks. So it just, they looked very frozen all the time in their, in their movements. <clears throat> and I just couldn't, that, that just couldn't work for me at all. Um, so it is subjective. And if, I, I guess when you've got your portfolio, show it to lots of people. Don't just show it to one, you know, Get, get general feedback and they'll spot different things um, but it's collectively what and some of it you might not want to take on board you might say well that's my style I mean, if you look at Mike Minola and he's you know the arm the, the right arm of doom it's, it's too long it doesn't work you know it, the, the hand's too big it you know but it looks fantastic and I love it and I've got loads of his books you know I love it but you know I, I wonder if, he, if some kid turned up with that sort of drawing style before he was known would they have said oh his arm doesn't work his, his elbow's too long and the gloves too you know it just doesn't work um, so you, you need to take it around, I think, and get a lot of feedback and, and listen to the feedback, you know, and decide what you want to do with that feedback. And grow a very thick skin, because I think artists aren't great at hearing criticism about their work. Yeah. And um, I know I wasn't when I when I was at school and when I was at college and then on to university. Probably my biggest downfall doing any kind of artwork was I just couldn't listen to any kind of criticism about what I was doing. <laughs> And um, luckily I'm older and I'm more mature now. And when I take criticism on board, I listen to it and I think, and, and really that's where the in-betweens come from. Me and Dave listened to, we had such positive feedback about both those books, but there was one little sentence in one little review that we were like, we need to fix that. And that's what we're, that's the whole point of this book. It's come from listening about 
what we can do better and, and then acting on that and, and then and trying to resolve that that issue yeah so I want to turn our attention back to, to Kia, um, the, the, the story and, and the Kickstarter. Um, I was just thinking of something as far as like business-wise with you guys being in, in the UK, um, are you sort of trying to schedule out your post to, to hit audiences in the UK and also sort of uh, time them to hit uh, in the, U- the United States with, with the time difference? Is that something that came into consideration for you? Yeah, that, that's interesting. Well, so I've often thought that because I've always mail typically in the evening in the UK or at the weekend during the day. Um, I have stayed up a few times quite late and done some posting, but I'm never quite sure how much people see the Facebook posts, which is all the Facebook groups. There's about 20 that I go and post on. Mm-hmm. And Twitter, you know, I tweet. Um, but that's about it, really. I don't know where else to kind of put that out. Um, a lot of the backers, if you look at the stats, you've, have you done, you've done Kickstarters, haven't you? Yeah. You don't keep yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you'll see that you know you get like the stats don't you, from from Facebook or from Kickstarter itself. You get that breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most of the hits come from Kickstarter itself. You know, some of them the external email. So I, I've kept a list of all the backers, and I email out. I always give people the option to opt out because it's only fair, you know. But I yeah. always bring that so that you've bought that stuff before. Here's this. I also go into some of the previous, not too far distant past issue. Uh, projects and do an update so we've just released another issue of kia if you you like the first one or the second one um so all that sort of stuff but that's all around kickstarter and then there's facebook there's not many other places apart from people like yourselves that do reviews and chat to people it's it's hard to get noticed and there's quite and despite we're doing this i I think i'm annoying people by facebook all the time you know facebook again i think i'm gonna gonna annoy people and then i then i do it once someone says oh i don't know how i missed that oh I missed, you know, Western Wire. I sent one to a guy that just missed the Kickstarter completely. I'm thinking, how could you miss it? I was, I was, I was everywhere with it. You know, I don't know what more I could have done. Uh, what I should do is ask him what he does look at to get his, you know, to find out what's going on because um, I obviously missed something. Yeah, it's always sort of a, it's always sort of a weird moment when you you do that. Say that's 30 days of intense sort of. It's it's always yeah. on your mind. It's something that you're, you're always working to do, and then it closes, and you you get the the one or two messages going. Oh man, I would have loved to have backed this if I would have yeah. known. You're just like, oh my god, I can't believe that with yeah. all the all the waking hours and all the, the sort of stress that yeah. I put on myself, yeah. that you're going to tell me this two days after it's all over. Yeah, so yeah, yeah that's yeah. always a that's always a, a weird thing to to have happen. Yeah, yeah. I I use I use my Instagram account as much as I can when we've got a Kickstarter live, and the posts always go down really well, and I get you know a few hundred liking it and stuff. Um, and we do get back. I know we do get backers off my my Instagram account. But going back to what you were saying, I always try and post up about seven o'clock English time or British. British time in um, mm. because they just find that's when everyone's at, at the dinner and the, 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 the probably relax and they might have their, their computer on or their iPad or whatever they're using or the phone and it, it seems to get much more traffic than if I um, put it up at a different time so uh, most of the time it will go up about seven o'clock and um, I, I think I think things like social media do have the place they do help at least, at least you know people have seen it. At least you know people are looking at it. Whether they're taking that much interest or just scrolling through, clicking like, 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 I don't know. But it just makes you feel like you're doing something because a lot of the thing with Kickstarter is you just sort of you be, you sort of sat there thinking, "Will we get another backer? Will, will we get someone else here who looked <laughs> and at and this?" Then people, and then people drop off, don't they? You think, "Oh my god, I'm less than uh, I did." Yeah, you're like, "Yeah, was that me posting that up that made them decide they don't want this comic anymore? What, what is that about?" Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. No, so that. We, we do have sort of another question that we, we ask people that uh, are running Kickstarters. Are you guys a uh, refresh the Kickstarter page every 30 seconds to see where you're at? Or you you maybe come in once or twice a day and, and see where you're at? How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, so I tend to, so you get the alerts on the phone that keep being beaten. You know, so the first couple of days, I'm, I'm forever looking at the phone, seeing how many you click on it, you've got 10 backers, you go, great. Um, I think, the, so the first week it's all looking at the phone and going on and keep checking. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the second and third week, it's it's just kind of leave it alone because it's it's just one or two a day if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And then the last week, it's again it gets quite active and you keep checking because it's getting near the deadline and you want to kind of get over a certain number if you can with backers. So it's uh, yeah. So I try and I guess there's peaks and there's a trough in the middle. Have you done any uh, sort of analytics as far as like people who were uh, on one and two and came in and people who yeah, come in yeah. fresh to be yeah. one and two and the in-between? Have you done sort of any yeah, yeah. analytics yeah, yeah, yeah. there? So I, I keep a, yeah, I keep a spreadsheet. It takes forever to maintain it. Yeah, I keep a spreadsheet of all the all the emails, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm very careful with them. Um, I keep the uh, Kickstarter one and who backed it, uh, Enter the Asylum, who backed it, Western Wild, who backed it. Um, Kia two who backed it so I can see if you know if I've got more backers if people have carried over from one and two and if they've gone for an in between so I can get a sense of and and we're getting more and more now which is really encouraging people that back the last three they're just yeah 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 and that, they're the sort of people that are going to come back for kind of almost anything we do which is which is tremendous um, so that that's and it's that core kind of fan base if you want a readership that you kind of want to kind of grow um, we are we we do try and you know I had one guy that um, for the Western Wire he showed me a photo of the package it had been ripped apart and he had, the comic was in there it was a bit damaged and all the freebies had gone and he bought the wanted poster he backed the wanted poster and that was all damaged as well which he kind of quite liked because it made it look more distressed so it kind of worked and I said okay that's no problem I'll, I'll send you another lot and he goes no no really really get us to know I'm sure it did I can see it you know don't worry about it I'll send you a whole lot you know and so I sent him the whole thing again luckily I had I printed an extra wanted poster for everybody just in case uh and this time I kind of packed it in a, in a stiffer package and I wrapped a load of tape around it. So I defy anybody to break through that, you know. Um, and we got it, you know, and it's, it's building that, that kind of uh, relationship with the people that read it, I guess. So it's not just you, them giving you money, you send them comics. It's actually treating them with respect and trying to help them out. Because, um, you know, they'll, they'll stick with you, I think, if you treat them fairly. And do you factor that in? Like, you, are, you know, you're, you're looking at these people who have been on all all three Kickstarters, you know, do, do you sort of factor them in when you try to determine a budget? Say, you know, I could probably count on a good amount of these people uh, uh, returning. No, no. So, so before Kickstarter, I used to pay for it all and then try and get the money back over the years of selling it at conventions. Um, so I see Kickstarter as a real plus, especially in this current time, there's no conventions. Um, so Kickstarter for me, if it can pay for the book printing, great because that's more than I ever did before if it can also pay for the artist's work that's even better because I'm then making profit on things that I sell at conventions um, and then I try and pay the rest to the artist because I'll make money at conventions anyway so the Kickstarter you know yeah it's it's not for me I've got a decent job you know it's, it's not badly paid so I don't have to make the thing make money for me to eat mm-hmm. um, so I just I just keep it running it pays for itself and that, that's happy for me um, so in the early days I was spending probably a grand a year or so on comics, you know, that, or more probably if I did up the convention costs and things. Um, but it was just a hobby and I just enjoyed being at these places, conventions, chatting to artists, other creatives. Um, but now in the last few years, it's paying for itself, which is tremendous. So I can look to do a bit more, you know, so any money I do make, if there is profit, I'll then do more projects rather than go on a holiday or something. <laughs> um, if you could do such a thing these days. <laughs> one, one thing I will say is um, the only thing I sort of look at is um, I wish I was as cool as Dave I, I do look at it far too much it becomes <laughs> obsessional and uh, the other thing that I look at is which countries the backers are coming from and I have to say like the US has been great for us I mean we get a lot of backers coming from America and yeah. we really appreciate anyone you know, the idea that this comic is going to go across an ocean to people is just a great feeling. And especially with things like postage and packaging, that's why we try and make the, the, like the digital version relatively cheap. We try and Dave, Dave's done a great deal where the physical first three issues, uh, including the in-between it's like 10 pound, which I don't know what that works out in dollars, but I can't see it being too much. And then, um, the, the digital copies are like, I think it's £2 for the in-between, which, again, will, will not be much in dollars. But 
Americans have really got behind us on this book and they got behind us on the others and we're incredibly grateful really it, it, it's lovely to know that it's go, going beyond the British Isles and that yeah. that's something that I'm really pleased about yeah it is nice you get like Australia Malaysia all these all these addresses it's like tremendous you know um, the post office loves me because he gets a commission <laughs> on everything I send so so he always smiles when I walk in with my bags or boxes. He's like, hey, <laughs> great. But, uh, but yeah, I spent a fortune on postage. I mean, it's interesting. The Western Wild book that I sent you, Matt, um, the postage on that was like 23 quid, 23 pounds. The book is 18 pounds. Wow. Postage, it's just it's just crippling. So again, we charge 18 pound postage and I lose five pound on the book because I can't. And we put in all these extras to make it worth balanced. So the, the cost for the American buyers, they had to buy everything. But that meant they paid the same as the European buyers, but they got these things for free, but they paid extra postage. So I had to, you have to try and balance it because you, you want people to read it and not go, oh, it's too expensive. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But I can't then sell it for just, you just buy the, the trade for, for 18 quid and, I'll, and, the post, you know, and the postage is like 10 quid. I couldn't afford to do that. So I had to try and make it work. Um, but with the smaller books, so the Kia books, it, postage is not bad. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's, it's affordable. Yeah, and yeah, I'm it's always a great size. Uh, just real quick, I'm just always really uh, impressed that um, you know, it seems that uh, when I get a book that's delivered through Kickstarter uh, from from the UK, uh, I mean, I have to, I don't want to jinx myself here, but I have, I haven't really gotten a book that's been damaged uh, at all, and you know, and, and I, I probably have a better hit rate of not getting damaged books from from the UK than I do from domestic shipping here. Um, so that's that's always interesting when, when I see those those packages come in. So, but Noah, you, you were gonna say something? Oh, I was just gonna compliment it just so that if anyone's listening and is on the edge of, you know, buying the book from someone who's bought the book, it's really, yeah, like you said, Matt, it didn't come damaged. And then of course, it's like, last year when I booked the first two, it was great to get like all those prints. And then of course I backed it where I got a sketch from Ian and like for that, that like all rounded up like to like way less than like a hundred dollars us. So like, it was like maybe $70 us. So that was like a really good deal. And I, I, I kind of, uh, on this one, it's, it's not that much more, which is just great. Yeah. So I was just going to compliment you guys and just say it's, you know, awesome. And, um, yeah, well, how you guys price things and how you guys well, how you guys make them. It's a quality print. It's you know, and it's it's well worth the money. And then of course the story is great on top of it all. Thank, Thank you so much, Noah. Um, like, but Dave, me and Dave were talking to Matt at the start. We're we're all about the number of backers we get rather than the amount of money we make. And you know, if if people don't want to fork out for the postage, that's fine. You know, go for the digital option if you if if you're interested in the book. And we we are delighted by anyone who pledges, whether it's two pound or or twenty five pound or whatever it is. It, it doesn't matter to us. Every time that backer number goes up, I get a really good feeling. And I, like Dave said, this isn't about us like living off this money. This is just about us doing what we love getting it out to as many people as we can that that is that is is what it's all about you know i'd rather i'd rather have less money and loads of backers i really genuinely would than loads of money and hardly any backers because then who who are you doing it for yeah exactly so as we wrap up here um let's let's talk about the kickstarter um dave i know that we asked you for for the elevator pitch and you did that but let's uh as we close up let's uh let's talk a little bit about you know this story and what you what you could get if with uh you know with this kickstarter yeah okay so so this is you could read this standalone so it's about a girl that goes into a realm and the things that she meets a future self which doesn't know that um i've done with it's a little bit experimental in that I'm trying to give stuff away, but not give too much away. But she, sure. you know, it's how we kind of showed that she, she's there talking to her, but she can't understand. You know, that it's not a conversation. So the future, her is trying to tell her something, knowing that she won't understand it, but she's still because she almost said it before, so she remembers saying things. So it's all that sort of stuff. Um, 
time time you know she, you get glimpses her of her future life and her past as well in this in this realm so she experiences things that she doesn't understand she also experiences things that she's lived through and then she leaves the realm so it's, it's a very kind of i think it's probably the most experimental comic i've done partly in how we constructed it and the ideas and, and the kind of way it grew from an initial eight page kind of kickstarter special to a 24 page comic because it just felt right as Ian was drawing it we're discussing it um you don't have to read the first two issues to kind of enjoy it i think if you just want to sample it and say do i like the art do i like the storytelling technique etc um but it does it does kind of answer the question that that currently uh, the reviewer said you know he loved the book but he felt it a bit of abrupt between issue one and two well, this kind of takes that away. It actually fills that gap in between. Um, but again, there will be other, I haven't told Ian this, but there will be other in-betweens uh, where we explore other things she sees in the future, which then drive other decisions she makes later on. But in, in, in its heart, it is a fantasy story. So it's about, it's, it's kind of a typical, in issue three, you get you get a typical-ish um, D&D party. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a big strong guy. There's a guy that, well, in issue four, the magician turns up. <laughs> um, it, it learns things through these discussions. <laughs> things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it kind of, and then, and then they, they kind of have to defend her against these lizard guys that turned up in issue two. And, and it all kind of, it kicks off and it, and it becomes more, um, I think, more action-packed. But there's also uh the politics so in issue three there's also the council and they're discussing things because they know what the wizard's done and they didn't agree to it so how the hell has he got the right to do that so it has a political layer as well so it's we're kind of world building and i love world building um and the fact that kia then appears in steams as robot and west noir is they call my mates call it the westiverse <laughs> so it's kind of it, it is building this whole story it's all it's all about her really so this is her origin but you don't have to read the other books. It would be a story in its own right. If you've read the other books, you don't have to have read her origin. You still understand what she is and what she's, what's going on. Um, but, you know, collectively, hopefully people go, oh, I kind of enjoyed the cat. Okay, this is her story. So I'll, I'll read that as well. So it kind of, it, that's the idea. Um, cool. But yeah, it's just, if you like fantasy books, uh, like Joe Abercrombie and there's one I'm reading recently, then I think you'll like it where it, where it goes, the direction it takes. Nice. So we're going to put a link to the uh, the Kickstarter in the show notes. But for anybody that would like to to follow you, Dave, to see you know more of Kia or more of the other Westyverse uh, books, uh, where should they go to to follow you? Okay. Yeah. So so my daughter, um, who's just finished her English literature degree, and then COVID hit, so she's sat at home. So she's redesigning the website. So the website, and, and I always joke with her, if she worked for me, I'd have sacked her. <laughs> I'd have sacked her months ago. <laughs> she's taken so long, um, but she's a little bit perfectionist. She spent about a month trying to get the privacy statement correct. And I'm like, just get something on there, just get it out. Um, so there will be a website. So www.accentukcomics.com is our website, and that will be up soon. Um, but we have a Facebook group as well. So Accent UK Comics Facebook group is where we kind of put more things. And I have a blog called uh, strangestoftimes.blogspot.com where I tend to put news and things that are going on. So so one, one of those three. Okay, yeah, well, we're, uh, we'll, we'll definitely link the, the, the blog and the, and the Facebook group in, in, the, in the show notes. And, and for Ian, uh, I'm guessing it's probably your, your IG account because I think that's probably how I discovered you guys was, was, Ian's, was Ian's art. Yeah. So is, is that the best place to, to follow you, Ian? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just ian.ashcroft.art on Instagram. You'll see a load of um, uh, posts recently about the Kickstarter. It's, it's definitely the place to, if you want to see my work, so check check that out, really. Um, I do have a Facebook account, but it, it's mainly Instagram that I use. And um, uh, that's, that's it, really. And, and the Kickstarter itself, if you just type in Keir Wordsmith into Kickstarter, it'll bring up the three issues and you'll you'll easily figure out which one's the in-between and yeah. have a look at it and see what you think i mean like i said if if you like sort of those artworks like people like bernie wrights and wally wood frank frazetta sam bisley these are the people that i'm thinking of when i'm drawing these pages so if you like that sort of stuff that you might like this book and it'd be great if you could check it out it's a good pitch. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Awesome. Well, um, guys, uh, I was great catching up with you. Uh, you guys, you know, I think this is uh, the the second or third time you guys have been on, but you guys always have an open invite. Uh, other issues of Kia, other issues of uh, the the Westiverse, we'd we'd love to have you have you back on. So. Um, uh, I'd like to uh, thank everybody for listening. If you could give us a rate and a review on the podcasting service you use, we'd really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at ConstructComPod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Also, if you'd like to check something else out, um, there is going to be a link to the pre-launch page for Dino Thrashers, which is issue two is coming out in May. Um, and that also is going to feature a cover from from Ian that he was so gracious to, to help us out for. So uh, you get to see a little bit of more of Ian's art there. So uh, a link to that in the show notes as well. I'd like to uh, thank everybody for listening. Uh, please be nice, be safe, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you. <laughs>